I am mining investor and editor of Resource Stock Digest, Gerardo Del Real, here with my partner, Mr. Nick Hodge, fresh back from the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference, which we'll get to, obviously. Mr. Hodge is also an investor and the publisher of Daily Profit Cycle. This is the 254th episode of our weekly therapy session that we call Investing in Bizarro World. We're going to talk BRIC. We're going to talk Roundup. We're going to talk markets. Um, a lot of stuff going on. We're going to you know, touch a little bit on uh, societal stuff eventually because we always end up going that way. But before we get to all that, Senor Raj, it was great catching up with you in Vancouver. How goes you today, sir? It was pretty brief, Gerardo. I feel like it was a, a, a flash in the pan. But no, it was good to see you to um, break bread and to get some drinks uh, and to obviously, you know, talk junior mining with executives and investors, et cetera. So um, it was a busy weekend. There was multiple events going on. You mentioned Roundup. You mentioned the Vancouver Resource and Investment Conference uh, where I was speaking. There was also the Metals Investor Forum in which a bunch of newsletter writers bring um, companies, and I was able to stop by that briefly on Saturday afternoon. So an action-packed couple of days, and um, again, good to see you and uh, some readers as well, I should add, um, at the conference. So I'm sure we'll talk about it, but how are you? I'm well. I'm well. Um, it, it was great to catch up. It was brief because both of us, I think, you know, the whole time there, and you were there longer than I was, but just back to back to back to back meetings and really mm -hmm. didn't have an opportunity to see everybody that I wanted to see. But it was um, it was an interesting conference. You know, I, I, first off, I, I'm speaking specifically to the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference, which is where I spent the bulk of my time. Uh, Got to give a shout out to Jay Martin and his staff. They put on a fantastic event. It was well attended. It was busy. Um, he he put up some numbers that I want to cite that were really interesting to me. And, and, and actually, you know, I tend to be optimistic in, on all things usually, right, Nick? And this actually gives me some hope here because we definitely need new blood in the resource space, specifically on the junior side of it. And this was encouraging. So Jay tweeted that 24% of the audience was under 40 years old. And it was evident if you were there. 8% were under 25. And so 35% of the audience also had never been to one of Jay's events before. So I am encouraged by those numbers. I, I am encouraged by the curiosity. We haven't yet had a market, although we're starting to get one in uranium, it's developing, but we haven't yet had a market where the youth gets to get greedy and really see what it looks like to go from speculating to life-changing money. And I think that's coming. I think those markets it's are me. coming. I'm, I'm the youth. <laughs> I like that. That's funny. <laughs> I think it's coming. I think the second half of the year is absolutely going to be um, one for the books, a memorable one. And look, uh, we're, we're, we're seeing it across many sectors. The setup is really, really good. We're going to talk lithium and copper here in just a bit. Oil made a 5% move this past week higher. We'll talk oil and energy. I'll get your take there. But I, I would love to hear your take on the actual conference and just kind of the tone of it. Yeah, I'll give you my pessimistic tongue-in-cheek response first. It's that I'm not <laughs> sure how why we work well together, guys and gals. <laughs> I'm not sure how much capital those 20 to 30-year-olds have when I read the reports about cash on hand and assets and accounts and things like that. I, I, I don't think junior mining companies are keeping the lights on with clicks. 
um, which is seemingly um, what, you know, anyway, what interests those people. You know, I see a lot of videos, again, the, the Twitter accounts about resource investing, and I wonder how much capital is involved in that. We talked about toothpicks last week. Uh, but on the bright side, it's good to see the youth there because we always talk about, you know, what takes this uh, super cycle to the next level? How do we attract the, the younger blood? How do we make them understand that in order to have iPhones in their pocket um, and emissions not in their air that they have to um, extract resources from the ground? Because after all, if it can't be grown, it's got to be mined. So I did see a lot of uh, younger folks there and, of course, encourage them to um, you know, learn more and, and get interested in the space. And Jay has done a good job of, you know, like the MCs for each of the workshop, for example, are all pretty young kids that have podcasts and things like that, that most like introduce the speakers throughout the day. So um, yeah, that might also be why there was younger folks there because people like that, you know, getting the word out and doing some of the advertising for VRIC. But it's funny, not funny, because, um, you know, in, in talking to the CEOs and I was on the phone with one yesterday and we were having this conversation, you know, what was the sentiment there? And he was saying, you know, I can't quite put my finger on what the sentiment was. And I said, yeah, you know, it was busy. There's a lot of meetings, uh, well attended. You know, I, I saw Ross Beatty's talk with Charlotte from uh, INN. Yep. It was standing room only. I mean, four yep. room, four people deep in the back standing up. Uh, and so in that respect, it was, it was upbeat. But it, it, talking to like, deep-pocketed investors and talking to the companies themselves, it didn't seem as upbeat. That's what I told mm. this guy. This, he's a copper CEO. And I was saying, um, you know, the, the investors, the retail investors seemed upbeat. Maybe the kids that, that we were talking about, um, the, not deep pocket, for example, but the actual companies that are trying to raise money weren't so upbeat. Um, and, and, and you were almost saying the same thing. We were talking before we recorded. You yep. know, there's companies that have, you know, 10, 20, $100 million in the bank. And, you know, the case of Patriot, which I'm sure we're going to talk about later. Um, mm -hmm. And there's companies that, you know, are essentially on their knees, you know, having to relinquish projects that they had options on. They can't make their work obligations. And they're, you know, they're figuring out, are we going to raise money to keep the lights on? Are we going to do some mergers of, of, you know, three, four, $5 million companies, put things together, see if we can survive? Or are we going to hang it up? And so it's an interesting time because, that's really all the way down on the micro, right? That's in three block radius in, in Vancouver. And then you zoom all the way out and it's Seriously. sort of the same thing on the macro picture, right? Like, yeah. can copper get to $4? Like, are we going to have a recession? Is it a soft landing? Like, I'm excited about a comparable market, but I don't think it's time yet. So it's, it's all the same, you know? Robert Friedland says the copper space is a powder keg waiting to explode. And now we all know that Mr. Friedland can tell a story. But we also know that he's really good at front-running markets and major trends and profiting off of them and positioning shareholders sometimes to also profit off of them. So um, to answer your question, I I, I do believe that copper uh, bucks the $4 mark. Does it happen next month or the month after that? Again, no crystal ball, but the trend is clear to me. I do believe it's a second half of the year story. I also believe, and I've said this before, that this is the time to position for that. Um, are we going to have a recession? Look, I, I, I've stated here that at least here in the U.S., I feel like we're already in one. I don't care if the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ are making record numbers. That's not real life, folks. Real life is 60% of parents are now providing financial support through rent, mortgage, insurance, and car payments to their adult children. Let me repeat that. Nearly 60% are providing some kind of substantial financial support to their adult children. And so when I read those numbers, 
and I'm meeting with companies and IR people and 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 you know I'm getting pitched the 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 five cent financing. Those were the adult children that were at the meeting. <laughs> Those were the adult children. <laughs> you, you, you took the punchline. <laughs> Damn it. I'm, 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 listen, man, this isn't, this part isn't funny, but you know, there's IR people not being paid. You know, there are CEOs foregoing salaries and there, 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 there's going to have to be a consolidation. And by consolidation, I mean, a lot of these companies have to go to junior resource heaven. Um, I, I, I do think it's a stock pickers game now. And look, even if, um, you're, you're, you're picking good stocks and you're betting stories and there's quality assets, some of that stuff is just stuck in the mud right now. We're definitely going to need new capital in the space and a, a macro backdrop that really highlights the opportunity in the resource space specifically before we see um, that, that, that run that, that is coming. We know it's coming. It's all cyclical, but when, when moon, you know, I'm the, I'm the guy that thought Patriot should be, you know, definitely a 20 and, and, and at 30 based on pure comps and, and, and what, you know, is clearly the most important uh, mineral discovery of, 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 of the last several decades, right? And we'll talk Patriot in just a second to speak to the quality of that. But whether it should be a 20 or 30 doesn't mean a damn thing. It's at eight and that's at eight after being at six. So that's just the reality of it, folks. Um, let's backtrack a bit. Let's, um, anything else to add on, 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 on Vancouver and companies needing to go to junior, junior resource heaven and a consolidation that, that, that can present opportunities, obviously, but, but, you know, any thoughts there? Well, just a couple of broader things. You were talking about the, the kids, um, you know, getting money from their parents and the economy and, and the stock market at record highs. So um, we don't have to do the whole macro thing, but we often say the, the, the economy is not the stock market, right? And so Correct. Um, the stock market has hit new record highs here, at least the S&P has uh, over the past couple of days. Interesting to note that's, you know, as we know, the Magnificent Seven, maybe the Magnificent Six, you guys probably know this whole narrative, right? Tesla missed earnings is falling out of bed. Meanwhile, Microsoft surging to a, a $3 trillion market cap carrying the entire market because as it hits record highs, like 70% of the of the stocks in the market were down, for example. Yeah. Um, and then the economy is interesting as well because, yeah, you mentioned the the 60% of parents, you know, having to, to provide sustenance or whatever to their kids. And yet we just got the the, the GDP number and it's a, a decent 3.3% when I was certainly expecting less. And you, then you can argue about how that number is calculated, but you know, without the tinfoil <laughs> hat, you know, 3% growth is, is 3% growth. And so, yeah, it's interesting. And so uh, maybe we can talk more about macro later. And then the last thing I'd say is <clears throat> relating it back to the fourth turning. So uh, the high levels of cohabitation, the codependence on, 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 on multi-generations, um, is part of that, right? You have, um, it, what am I going to say? You know, with the silent generation, people started very young, you know, right out of high school, getting married, having kids. Um, so that, that age is like 20 to 23. And then by the 19, um, well, to where we are now, people wait all the way until they're 30, right? To have kids 35. And so um, that's part of like the generational turning as well. So yes, they're providing for them. And also because um, and now I'm sort of all over the place, but it's because that generation has more too. like the baby boomers won the lottery at, at every single turn, right? With housing and 401ks and, um, cashing out of IRAs before 2007, whereas the, the generation X and the millennials so far have been on the eh, inverse of that, right? You know, starting out careers right in 2007, for example. And so, 
um, that accounts for some of that uh, statistic that you said, but it's a very real thing. And so um, I would like to talk more about the force turning as well later, but what's next? No, I, I, I think this is a perfect opportunity to talk about the force turning. We can get into the markets here um, and Patriot and Lithium and, and, and all of that here in just a second. I think it's a great, great opportunity to speak on it. Well, I finished the book, and so I, I don't want to <laughs> recap the whole thing. I'm not going to give you. I'm not going to give you a book report, but um, <laughs> it, you know, essentially, three outcomes: major financial crash, civil war, international global war, or some overlapping of all three. Right, yeah. culminating somewhere between 2030 and 2033. Uh, these are just the high level takeaways, right? Yep. Uh, implications, um, depending on which of those three scenarios play out, you can figure out some of the implications uh, for yourself based on, you know, war, et cetera, but, um, also taxes, right? So what happens is like, uh, the nation coalesces around some big ideas, right? And they put differences aside and they finally start fixing stuff that is blatantly obvious needs fixed, but they couldn't fix for so long because of partisanship, et cetera. One of those things is taxing the rich Gerardo. So um, they're going to have to pay for all these, uh, bargains, right? Essentially new deals, right? Um, to keep social security going, to provide maybe even some uh, child care for the middle class, et cetera. And so, um, taxes are going to go way, way up. And, uh, those are the, the, essentially the big takeaways as I saw it. So, um, the timing has been kind of fine tuned and the paths forward have been outlined and, uh, sort of what happens afterward is is becoming uh, clear as well, and it's you know not that much different than after World War II and the New Deal when they raised taxes, et cetera. And so, um, and it, and I guess the last thing I would say is that's still ten years away. Twenty thirty to twenty thirty three is a, is a long time away. You've got to get past you know two more elections, um, and you need a, a rising of the great champion, which is really why I wanted to talk about this. So, and that's the one of the aspects I forgot from the previous book is. There's one or more old yep. heads that pop up to like basically act as grand wizards, right? Like to chaperone Gen X and the millennials through the crisis. Not right? the KKK type folks, like the, the real yeah, grand yeah, wizards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just to <laughs> be absolutely clear before I get the hate mail. It's like the Italian guy said the grand wizard in front of the Mexican guy and they didn't say anything. So I was thinking, you know, who is that going to be? Because <laughs> nobody like readily comes to mind, at least not in the existing political theater, right? But then I saw this week that uh, Mr. John Stewart is going to be hosting the uh, Daily Show again, at least one day a week, uh, yep. starting soon. And he fits the criteria. He is uh, an early Gen Xer, um, and he certainly made sense to me over the years. Whether it was you know the Iraq War, the Bush presidency, even through the Obama administration holding his feet to the fire for for some of the stuff that he did, and so. I even think he's COVID. got a good head on his shoulders, and he makes a good candidate for a great champion. Yeah, no, and look, he he, he he speaks his truth. He backs it up with facts, and whether you agree or disagree with this style, um, you have to agree the man is brilliant. He can debate like very few people. Um, his interviewing uh, is, is some of my favorite interviewing that I've ever seen, the way that he can develop a conversation, take a point, and completely uh, out-debate you uh, on, on positions that people hold near and dear to their heart, but maybe hold those opinions and positions, not based on fact, but on political partisanship, right? Mm -hmm. And it's notable, look, obviously he leans left, but it is notable to me that even during COVID, he, he went on the Colbert show. He was a mentor to Colbert and was one of the first lefties to say, uh, COVID fucking came from the Wuhan lab because the lab is fucking <laughs> right up the street and you're not going to get me to believe 
that there's a fucking lab up the street from where supposedly the bats got it. And it no didn't doubt. come from the fucking lab. He's like, this is just common sense. And I remember Colbert kind of pushing back. And John Stewart basically saying, I really, I really don't care. I don't have the facts to prove this in this case, but I do have some common sense, right? And so it's refreshing to have somebody that can take the other side of what typically the side the side that he chooses to align himself with, which usually is, you know, leans left. It's refreshing to see him be able to take another position just based on, you know, critical thinking, which we have very little of in this country right now. So I would welcome Mr. Stewart throwing his hat into the political arena. I think it would hopefully encourage, you know, people from all sides uh, that maybe aren't the traditional politicians to get involved, right? I'd love to see a Mark Cuban, you know, someone like that get involved. I don't know if there's too many skeletons in that closet for him to do so. I think it's why he chose not to this last go around. Something about, you know, they start digging into everything. And, you know, when you're young sure. and you're rich and, and you're out there, guess what? Um, it gets real easy to get carried away sometimes. And I think, you know, him having a family and his kids being younger probably um, per made it to where uh, let me let, let me wait made him reconsider that decision but you know people like that that actually have a skill set that actually have been successful that actually have you know built things in the past um I, man i would love to see it and i hate that it's going to take a whole ton of volatility between now and when we see that but again the optimist in me is open yeah and it doesn't have to be they don't have to be a politician it can just be like a voice uh, a guiding voice or whatever so anyway he doesn't necessarily have to run for office, but I thought it was interesting that, you know, he was going back to the, the Daily Show. I'll have to tune in and see what he has to say. Excited for every Monday from here on out. Absolutely. I will put it back on my uh, little DVR thing. Let's uh, let's get into the broader markets. Uh, I talked about brand new highs. Everything is awesome again, except for in the real world for most people, right? But as far as the markets go, uh, all new highs, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm perplexed. And again, I don't dabble in the major indices, right? I am perplexed that the numbers keep running the way the numbers keep running, despite data that doesn't support new all-time highs. Thoughts, Nick? It's perplexing. Um, yeah, this S&P at all-time highs. Um, Russell, not so much. Uh, Russell's been going the other way. But, you know, like I was saying about the tinfoil hat, I mean, if you just take the data on face value, it's um, perplexing that you had that three percent growth in the in the fourth quarter. Now that was that was down from you know five percent growth in the third quarter. But um, you know most bears were thinking it was going to be closer to one percent. And again, you can argue argue about how the number is 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 calculated. But uh, outside of that, it's, it's seemingly Goldilocks out there, right? And 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 I guess that's a good place to start, right? You can talk about. Um, you know, the, like the ice of a pod or an avalanche where you don't know how soft it is underneath, but the, the surface is, is still continuing to hold up, right? Um, I guess a pod is a good one because I was duck hunting this week and half my <laughs> pod is frozen. And um, it's been quite cold, right? Like um, it was below zero a couple of weeks ago, but recently it's been above freezing. And I had this one duck that was sitting out in the middle of the pod on the ice. Um, well, this is a really good analogy, actually. And so I, um, I had to go get the duck, right? And I don't have a dog. So I was like, oh, am I going to walk out on the ice? And um, so I was testing, like I was walking slow, walking slow, like you do on ice. And I heard the cracks and it was supporting me. And ultimately, um, I did make it all the way out there to get the ice and it didn't break. But you can't see what's going on under under the surface is, 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 what, I, is what I'm getting at here. And what's going on under the surface is is very interesting right so i don't know what the conclusions are going to be here but i'm going to tell you just i guess everything i'm seeing 
um, volatility continues to be non-existent. And so uh, that means there's a lot of call buying on the S&P. And that's one of the things that sort of, um, you know, wags the dog, as it were. If you can get your thumb on the scale of the, of the call buying options uh, at some certain level on the, on the SPY, then um, you can, you know, create a self-fulfilling prophecy. So that's one thing that's going on. The other thing I already said is um, yesterday, five stocks. Well, you don't know what yesterday is by the time you watch this. But, you know, when the S&P just hit new record highs above 4,800, um, those moves, those daily moves were being driven by five stocks. I mean, 20% driven by five stocks. And so uh, the breadth isn't there. Um, we don't have to get into the consumer, but uh, the earnings aren't there either. Like it's, it's, it's earnings season and no one's talking about that. I mean, and you've got some companies that, that aren't performing well at all, including uh, Tesla, which I mentioned earlier, that was in the Magnificent Seven, right? That, yeah. Um, had quite a rough week last week. And so, um, and then, yeah, you can relate that back to the to the consumer, I guess, with the, you know, 60% stat that you were mentioning earlier. Uh, yep. Parents are paying for their kids or whatever. So uh, all doesn't remain well in the economy, and yet the stock market continues to hit all-time highs. And so- um, it's confounding. It's it's perplexing, and um, I just look right because you know at the end of the day, that's what Mr. Dines would say. Don't Mr. think. Dines look. old and advice. Look, that's right. Yeah. I look at the dollar and I look at the rates, and and they're strong and going up, and that tells me that the Fed's not going to to ease as soon or as much or anyone thinks, which is the same thing I've been saying. And market uh, still only pricing in now a fifty percent chance of a rate hike in March. I'm a little bit higher by the time May rolls around, and uh, that's sort of where it is. Um, at this point, you're missing out if you're not in, in the broader market, and so uh, you can do that a couple of ways through momentum stocks and otherwise, but um, I guess the last thing I would say is, you know, I keep limit orders set, as you know, for yeah. individual mining stocks and even macro stuff, and, and stuff's not cheap. Like, I was looking today, I was it's, it's funny, because I was going to buy a healthcare stock today, and um, I logged in and I was going to, I was looking at it, it was like 295 and I had already had a limit order set like for 285 based on the chart. So stuff's like not like anyway, worth buying out there either for me. So I still think stuff's going to get cheaper. Um, I still think these stocks are climbing a wall of worry and, um, aren't being driven by fundamentals. And I still view it as, as too risky for me to put my capital in the broader markets when, Rates continue to go up. Dollar continues to be strong, and and gold doesn't want to go back below two thousand. So, anyway, a bit of a non-answer there, but that's what I see. No, a, a great segue, and I want to touch on gold here in just a little bit, and and the dollar, uh, which is showing strength again. But you mentioned um, you mentioned value, and 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 you mentioned you know a couple of other things that took me to my Patriot Battery Metals portion of um, the podcast. Right, it was great to meet. Uh, with management, had a really good catch up while there, sat down for dinner for a couple of hours. And so, listen, it was a surprise to me uh, the day after I get back from Vancouver after meeting with management, they played this really close to the best and kudos to them for that because nobody likes a, a, a leaky ship, right? And so it was not a surprise to me what was announced, but the fact that it's happening this soon was a surprise to me. I thought this would happen eventually sometime this year. I, I had no clue it was going to be this quick and effective immediately. And obviously what I'm talking about is Ken Brinson coming on to not only take over as CEO and president, but moving to Quebec uh, to make sure that the project gets 
the attention that it deserves. And, you know, I, I, I think his quote was pretty telling, right? Um, the, 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 the press release says, with exploration to date at Corvette demonstrating a scale that is material to the future development of the North American lithium raw materials and chemical supply chain, the company has decided to further bolster its Quebec presence. Now, Ken's quote, again, um, he said, it's clearly not one, clearly one of, if not the best lithium raw materials development project globally. And so he said, my commitment to move to Quebec, build out the leadership team, and engage deeply with key stakeholders that will contribute to the project's success. You and I talked a bit off air, Nick, and it's clear to me that Ken and the family, Ken, Ken by the way, anybody that thinks this is financially uh, motivated is, is, is out of their minds. He is absolutely filthy rich. He has no financial incentive other than more money, which he doesn't need, um, to, to, to come back and take this hands-on role and you know, move his family um, to Quebec. So it's clear to me that he's after the legacy of his helping establish this, you know, critical metals supply and chemical chain. Uh, and and look, that would be a hell of a back to back, right? Coming off of Pilbara, what he was able to to do there. I don't think he's moving his family um, with the vision of, of, of being there for the next five, six, seven years. This screams to me, and clearly the market loved it, right? The stock after hitting a low of some $6 and something, put a six handle up earlier this week, um, bounced back to the $8 level, nearly closing that gap that you had mentioned before where your order filled just a week ago, but the market clearly received it well. Tons of volume in Australia, solid volume here in the US, up 25% in two days just based on that announcement alone. I got to believe assays are going to start emerging out of the Corvette project here soon. And those 10 rigs should be turning by month end. The one takeaway that I did get from the team when I met with them in Vancouver was that they are hell bent on de-risking the project, which lends credence to my speculation, which is all it is, that Ken firmly believes he can get Corvette sold within the next 12 to 24 months. Because if you're if if, if everyone already knows the world-class nature of the asset and you know the infill drilling that they're doing is meant to show continuity and take that resource into uh, the reserve status to get that re-rating. Um, that reserve status will also allow for bankable feasibility studies, internal models by majors, and will allow for a board to come in and make a substantial bid. And, and, and let's be absolutely clear, it will be a substantial bid. My 20 30 even $40 price target that I've had from the beginning, and I said that was the end game. That is still firmly in play. Anybody that thinks that because the stock is at eight dollars that we're not going to see a three, four, five billion dollar you know market cap on this company, given the asset that's there and given the rebound that I think you know lithium is on the cusp of uh, of, of of getting to, is 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 in my mind just wrong. We'll see. No crystal ball on when that happens. I've been wrong about the timing. Been pretty uh, spot on about the, the nature of the asset, the management team delivering this welcome surprise. Got to thank Blair. Got to thank you know everybody that got. Part one done. Part one has been extremely profitable for those of us that got in very, very early. Part two, I think, is going to be um, the part where people that got in, you know, at $10 and above, all the way up to 17 where they're going to be able to make their money. And I don't think it's going to be a multi-year wait before you're profitable and in the green. So kudos to the team. Kudos to, kudos to everybody that had... Uh, part had something to do with part one, you know, Jody DeRouge and, and, and Neil 
the, the, the Darush Geological McCallum. Consulting and yeah, Neil McCallum and that whole team, I mean, also had a large uh, role to play. The Australian group that came in and put some cash up, a group out of New York that came in and put some cash up real early on. All of those pieces needed to be in play in order for part one to work. Ken uh, guiding the ship on part two and then Blair stepping over to the, uh, you know, what he does best, build stuff. And that's what he loves to do as COO. It's a beautiful fit. It was completely mutual from what I understand. And everybody's excited as all hell um, to move this thing forward. So couldn't be happier as a shareholder. Wish we had a bigger uh, bigger market cap. That market cap will come. I wonder what French sounds like with an Australian accent. Well, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish him luck. I mean, it's obviously a vote of confidence and, and the market liked it. So um, maybe he'll have the je ne sais quoi that the, the company was, was lacking before. And I think that $8 level sort of acts as a magnet for a little bit, right? Because... Um, I obviously drew shares down to that level uh, to fill the gap on the downside. And this announcement brought him right back up to that level. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see him consolidate right here and then use that as a base then to go up higher on on subsequent drill results. So and the other thing is, you know, we talked last week at length about the lithium market. You put on your boxing gloves, right? Um, you know, it's <laughs> not all rainbows and, and puppy dogs out there. We talked about some of the things. Um, the Ford, you know, cutting back production, et cetera, and how, you know, some of the optics of the narrative was was changing and, and, and not as robust as it had been. The same thing, like I was reading this week, um, a financing package for Liontown was like rejected because the creditors were using like a lower spot for a lower price for um, lithium, you know, than was than was done in the economic studies. And so um, this news, this change in leadership comes amid broader turmoil in the lithium market, obviously. Um, and you have to think it's, it's a, it's a bottom. You know, these are not, you know, all time bottoms, but you know, bottoms in this part of the, of the lithium story, right. Where you see stories like this and you see management changes and, and companies start to act because they're whatever their assets or their plans come under threat. So, um, I think it turns from here. I was also looking at the, you know, the demand forecast for EVs, um, outside of the Tesla earnings that that we were mentioning earlier, and you know, still double digit growth this year globally for um, electric vehicles, and so uh, the fundamentals I think continue to be there, and uh, clearly the market like Mr. Brisbane coming to 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 lead the company. An important uh, fact that came out of that Tesla conference call, and I did listen to some of it for the EV uh, demand portion of it, but you know, Elon mentioned the fact that Tesla specifically, which is less important would see, you know, less growth in 2024. But then he said on a macro level, the demand, the demand for energy storage, which requires a lot of lithium is going to be absolutely robust. And so again, if you look at, you know, any objective metric from objective groups that are actually, you know, modeling this stuff appropriately, uh, the, the, the demand curve continues to go this way. And so um, look again, no crystal ball folks is, is, are we at the bottom in, in Patriot share price? I don't know. Are we at the bottom in the lithium space? I don't know. It feels like yes on both fronts. Um, we'll know soon, but I, uh, again, I mentioned last, at the end of last year that 2024 had a lot of questions to answer in regards to Patriot, uh, still a lot, but I, those questions now to me are starting, uh, to get answered and, and it's good to see the answers be positive answers, right? I think you know, the next step is it would be nice to be able to attract another investment, um, either from an Albemarle or a Pilbara now that, you know, Ken's guiding that ship or any other major, um, 
that shows, you know, confidence at these levels uh, to 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 advance the project forward at an accelerated rate. Uh, flow through financing is probably still, you know, really available for a company like Patriot and a project like Corvette. The premiums historically for Patriot have been, you know, above 100 percent or right around 100 percent. So, yeah, if it's at eight bucks now. You do a flow through a 16, um, 50 million dollars and the endorsement from another big group. Um, and again, Pilbara to me would be just a logical fit because of Ken's past there and because the company just reported a fantastic quarter, which speaks to being good stewards of capital and actually knowing what you're doing. Pilbara's quarter was fantastic, right? There was a short squeeze on the ASX. Um, their margins were, were still something like 50%, you know, using close to today's prices. And so the groups that are missing on revenue guidance and the groups that are missing on margins and the groups that are shutting down their projects, I've always counted on this. I mean, it's going to be the same thing in copper, folks. Projects that are marginal aren't going to make it because you're always going to have price slumps, whether it's copper, whether it's lithium, whether it's silver. There's always going to be cycles where the price dips and you can't just count on a higher price to keep your operation sustainable. You know, there's there's a group, uh, Minres and uh, two or three other ones in Australia that are going to the government um, as we speak to have a conversation about potential bailouts and, you know, potential financing. And, and, and basically there's some nickel groups as well that are joining some of the lithium miners. How that turns out, I don't know. But again, it's uh, it, it speaks to Corvette and the world-class nature of it. Because when you look at the mineralogy, when you look at, you know, the type of uh, process that you're going to use to extract this, when you look at James Bay emerging, and I think, again, this is one of Ken's goals, is, is, is developing the James Bay region as the epicenter of the North American battery metals chem and chemical supply chain. Um, it's a lot to be excited about, folks. And, and you just got to think in more than days and weeks. And, you know, again, every dollar that, 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 that patron goes down or up is material to my bottom line. So I want to see it as high as everyone else, but it's definitely going in the right direction. And I love Ken guiding the ship for part two. Should be fun. Related, but not directly, I've been telling you and writing for some time that there was going to be the stickers on the cars. I was telling you about the Monroni, yep. <laughs> the Monroni stickers, right? Um, I read this week that starting in 2027, the EU is going to have EV battery passports where they're going to have um, the minerals that are inside the battery, where they came from, and their uh, emissions information. So... Um, the blind squirrel found another nut. That was sort of an easy one to see coming, but I'm now official, at least in the European Union. So it's going to matter where all this uh, stuff comes from, and there's going to be tears. So, um, and again, uh, that's years away. So uh, the cycle is going to play out for a while. Agreed. Agreed. One other piece of company specific news before we wrap up, because I don't want to be too long winded, but this is an, excuse me, an important piece of news, both. For me personally, because I own tons of hand and metal shares, and and, and I know you own uh, quite a few as well, but it's important for Peru. You know, quietly here in the last couple of months, Calamina, who we're very friendly and familiar with, um, and have written checks to in the past, received an exploration permit. Hannon just received DIA approval for its maiden drill program at the San Martin project in Peru. San Martin, of course, is the joint venture portion of Hannon Metals. Um, basin scale play. And so this is, you know, about, uh, around a third of the land that Hannon Metals has in Peru. They have an entire basin 
of copper, gold, silver projects that have multiple different systems and, 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 and types of deposits. And so this is the portion that JogMec is financing. It's a $35 million. That's U.S. Uh, commitment if they see it through to the end. But San Martin being drilled isn't what's so exciting about this part. This the, the, this permit and then this approval, what's exciting to me is that there was some local opposition um, guided by outside NGOs, as it typically is, to this permit. The land package that I'm really excited about, the Valiente project and, and the 100% owned stuff, there is zero local or NGO influence out there. There, there it just doesn't exist. So if they were able to get this approval across the finish line, it bodes well for future approvals and future permits. And I understand that behind the scenes, Peruvian companies have been very vocal um, with the Minister of Mines about the fact that, look, we're trying to spend money and invest in your country and you're not making it easy to do so. And in some cases, outright not letting us spend the millions of dollars we want to inject into your economy. And I think they've heard that message. I think that message has been received. I am definitely not a local uh, expert on Peruvian politics and the Ministry of Mines has new personnel seemingly every month so it can change. Peru is Peru, but great news for Hannon shareholders. Great news for Hannon. Congratulations to that team for getting that across the finish line. Yeah, long time coming. Um, long time uh, Hannon shareholder here, even you know going back to the, the Ireland zinc days. And so yeah. the pivot to, to Peru, I think, was smart. It's going to take some time to play out. But um, a muted, albeit positive, uh, response in the market. And you and I were talking, nothing's getting a response in the market. So, um, yeah, it was good to see it done. Uh, hopefully it can be used as an example for um, not just Valiente and the other portions of their, their projects there, but, you know, uh, for others in Peru as well. Agreed. Agreed. I'm supposed to remind y'all every time to check us out at dailyprofitcycle.com. For updates, market commentary, ranting and ravings from yours truly, insights from Mr. Hodge, and takeaways, opinions, and a bunch of fun facts from our talented group of editors at Daily Profit Cycle. I have to ask you for your take on gold. Technically, before we get out of here, Mr. Hodge, how's it looking in your eyes? It's at that boring 2000 level again, which is music to my ears, because if that's the new floor with 103.5 US dollar index, it's going to be a great 2024 a golden one dare i say gold is bullish gold wants to stay above 2000 it wants to do so even as the dollar and uh the 10-year tick higher um but gold is not gold stocks and so um i still think you have time to position in gold stocks but gold is bullish and still worth buying on dips for sure I like it. Anything else you want to get off your chest, Mr. Hodge? 5% moving oil this week? Is that, is that, is that going to stick? I need another week. So, um, the same with copper, they both sort of ticked up a little bit, likely because GDP came out at 3%. Um, I'm not sure if that, uh, that holds or not. So, um, for now I'm leaning towards not, I think you still have time in the commodities to get positioned broadly. Um, that the growth isn't as strong as that, that number indicates, but, um, we'll see. And so I'm not going to give you an answer yet. I like it. We'll save it for next week. Uh, we're, we're recording a day earlier next week, folks. So you can expect uh, your episode a day early, hopefully, if it all plays out the way we intend it to. I am Gerardo Del Real, along with Mr. Nick Hodge. This was the 254th episode of our weekly therapy session that we like to call 
investing in Bizarro World. I hope everyone has a phenomenal end to their month. And I wish everybody, obviously, a phenomenal February. Nick Hodge, send us out with some words of wisdom or encouragement, sir. Let's see you. Uh, if you have any better luck figuring out the market than us, by all means, let us know. Hey there, you independent-minded investor. If you like this video, make sure to tell us so by clicking the like button below. Subscribe to our channel so you never miss another one. And share it with everyone you know on social media. You can also click the link in the description below to check out more information-packed videos just like this one. Thanks for watching.